Good evening, fellow trustees. Good evening, fellow trustees, AHS staff members, collaborative partners, and members of the public. Welcome to the regular meeting of the Alameda Health System Board of Trustees. This is March 8, 2023. Uh, wonderful to be in person with so many of you after all these years. Uh, a special note, the governor declared state of emergency has altered public meetings protocols during the, um, that altered public meeting protocols during the COVID pandemic has been lifted and all health system board of trustees meetings and board committee meetings will be held in about accordance with current Brown Act requirements. As a result, our meetings will be held in hybrid, uh, in remote or uh, in person access. Um, so before we go into public comments, I wanted to acknowledge that each year, March 8th is observed as International Women's Day um, to celebrate social, economic, cultural, and political achievement of, of women from all around the world. The day also focuses on a call to action to accelerate gender parity and to set agendas, goals, and accountabilities in achieving these targets. I'm especially grateful for the richly diverse community of women and gender expansive leaders in all levels of positional authority who have come before us and made it possible for our generation of leaders to be in this room. Grateful for women and leaders of today who are cultivating solidarity and collective capacity across issues and identities to reimagine and co-create a more just society. So before this day is done, I invite, I invite each of you to reflect and think of one woman or two who have profoundly impacted your life for the better. I hope we send that gratitude in our thoughts or through our action. All right, uh, General Counsel, do we have any requests uh, for public comments? I'd like to do roll call, please. Oh, please. Go Thank ahead. you. Chair Banerjee. Here. Trustee Fox. Excused. Uh, Trustee Friedman. Present. Trustee Splendorio. Here. Trustee Esteen. Here. Trustee Chapman is excused. Trustee Sayan. Here. We have a quorum. Thank you. All right. Do we have oh, any man. requests for public comments? We do. Oh. Trustee Bouquet. I'm sorry. Here. Trustee <laughs> Bouquet is also here. I was reading off the list. <laughs> Thank you, Trustee Bouquet. We have a quorum. We do have a uh, public comment. You could read out the name. Yes. Rex Izone. Jenny Chuop, I'm sorry, I'm not doing so good with pronunciation here, and Patricia Obazi. I believe they're on, they said they would be on Zoom. So we have three? Yes. And Doug Jones. I see Doug on here, and I see uh, Rexy is on. So Rexy, do you want to go first? You have three minutes. Okay. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Rexy Dizon. I work at Alameda Hospital Surgery Department. I'm a shop steward, bargaining team member, 
and an executive committee member of SEIU-UHW. The last contract that we negotiated was done right before the very high inflation in recent years. This has created great financial hardship for the service and technical workers at Alameda Hospital. Some employees of EBS were forced to, re to retire early and move back to the Philippines because- Lexi, can you hold for a second? I'm so sorry, we'll give you back your time, but we can't hear you. We need to increase the volume a little bit. Though. Yeah, that's what we try. The yeah, it's, it's a max. It's a max. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, like what I was saying, some some employees of PBS were forced to retire early and move back to the Philippines because they cannot afford to stay in this extremely, uh, you know, uh, Bay Area where the high where it's, the standard of living is extremely high. Some were forced to sell their houses and just opted to, you know, um, pay their rent. Alameda Hospital needs to negotiate a wage and benefit package, which is competitive with other hospitals in the region. So we can feel open positions and retain staff. Alameda Hospital has chronic short staffing problems, which is bur which burns workers out and undermining quality, timely care. Patients deserve quality patient care. But with short staffing, this won't happen. Right now, at Alameda Hospital, some units, not to mention the nursing department, has so many travelers and um, registry workers, including our very own surgery department, and Dr. Bouquet uh, can attest to that. 30 seconds. We still, you know, we, our, our, our hospital, we are understaffed. People leave because of low salary wages, and I can't blame them. So I'm asking this body to please support and approve the wage increase that we propose. Thank, Thank you, you very Rexy. much. Thank you, Rexy. And um, to all, your feedback is really important and your perspectives, you know, in this forum, we cannot respond, but we, we do hear your and follow up. Next is Doug Jones. Yes. Doug Jones, you can go now. Actually, I, I don't plan to speak today. I, I, I was the one who uh, submitted uh, these workers' names. Uh, uh, you heard from me uh, last month. Uh, I think uh, my uh, comments from last month can stand. 
And I'm glad that you're hearing from more workers today. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny Chio. Jenny Chio. Hi. Jenny. Uh, yes, can you hear me? Yes, we do. Okay. Hi, uh, my name is Jenny Chirp. Thank you for having me. I am the lead clinical dietitian at Alameda Hospital, and I've been working there for about two and a half years now. And this year, I am also part of the bargaining team. So one of the topics that we've been discussing at bargaining and that um, Rex has mentioned is um, about short staffing and the increased workload that we've been experiencing. So as you know, when pandemic hit, our um, patient census has increased. We've been getting a lot of overflow from the different facilities and our patient acuity level has also increased. So every day our staff have been working extra hard, but we've, we've been um, overworked and we are experiencing it um, that it's affecting our health physically and mentally and we are getting burnt out. And because of this, there has been more call-offs, but not enough staffing to help cover. So this increases our workload even more and the cycle just keeps going. And more importantly, like this is not just affecting our staff, it's affecting our patient and it's affecting our patient care. So for example, in the dietary department, because of um, the increase in patients, we are having to cook more food, we're having to assemble more trays, and this is causing patients to sometimes receive their trays a little later than usual. So um, this is not good for our patients because they need their nutrition and their energy to get better faster. And as a dietitian, I have noticed that um, how short staffing may be affecting our patient care. Per One nursing, um, in our subacute unit, there has been an increase in residents with pressure ulcers, and this could be due to um, an increase in patient to nursing ratio. Patient or nursing are having to take care um, of more patients than they're used to, and this could be affecting the patient outcome. So as you can see, uh, short staffing and increased workloads are big issues for both our staff and our patients. And I hope that um, this can be addressed. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. Anyone else? Uh, Patricia Obazi, please. Is Patricia Obazi here? I do not see Patricia in the audience, Chair Banerjee. Anyone else? Those are the only three we've received. Pat Patricia is on. I see her actually, if you scroll to page two. Okay. There you go, Patricia. Yeah, okay. I'm on. Hi, my name is Patricia Obazi. I work in Alaska Hospital I am a Bargaining team and a shop steward for CNEs in Alameda Hospital. I was here at the last board meeting, and before now, we've had two bargaining meetings, of which 
nothing has come out of it. The management are taking us for granted. They're not taking us serious. We are burnt out, exhausted. We are tired because the staff, we are working hard and the patient is affecting the patient. In a hospital staff, we take Alameda Hospital as our second home. This patient that comes there, they take us like the next family member. So if we cannot settle our homes, how do we settle people that come to us for help to assist them in their daily care? Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Barzi. Anyone else? That's it, sure. Thank you again for your public comment. Uh, moving on, uh, we move on to the first item on our agenda, the executive officer's report. And it's my pleasure to introduce the newest member of our board of trustees, trustee David Sion. Uh, welcome to our board. Uh, we are very honored to have you. Um, trustee Sion comes with an incredible um, resume and lots of years of decades of work in the healthcare field. He's been um, regional director in the CMS, has worked with the Center for Medicare, Medicaid Services for a long time, worked with Don Berwick, is, has degrees in hospital administration. And so welcome and we'd love to yeah, welcome you to and invite you to say a few words about what made you join the, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what made you join our board? What are you looking for most? Well, um, you know, at, at CMS, uh, going back long before Berwick, um, I worked with Bruce Vladek, who, you know, introduced prospective payment in New Jersey, Bill Roper, who did the first uh, release of hospital quality data, troubled though it was. Um, and, you know, we were really always about making this broader public health agenda possible. Um, and I thought sort of the, this, this stage of my working life, it would be really nice to see how that actually works. Um, and just in the couple of presentations I've had, I was just fascinated to see that things that we were like dreaming about with the Innovation Center like 10 years ago, you know, actually happening. And, and I think it's really exciting. And um, I was friends with Wright Lassiter. Uh, we were on the CEO roundtable together. And I remember when he made the presentation about creating this health system and, and his vision for it. Um, and I thought it was really exciting, an exciting thing for the people who live in Alameda County. And I still think it's an exciting thing. Um, uh, I think, you know, if, if anything, I'd like to, you know, contribute in some small way uh, to, to making that vision more of a reality in terms of becoming, you know, people seeing our facilities as providers, as the providers of choice. Thank you, Trustee Sign. We are very glad to have you here. So the first order of business today is to, we will be, I nominate you to be secretary treasurer of the board. And I also nominate uh, Trustee Friedman on the executive committee. Do we do one um, vote for both or do we do two separate ones? General I'll, I'll second that nomination for both nominees. That's fine. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. All right, would you call? Yes, Chair Banerjee. Aye. 
Trustee Esteem, Trustee Bouquet, Aye. Trust, Trustee Fox <laughs> as uh, excused. Uh, Trustee Obligacion is remote. Trustee Splendorio, Aye. Trustee Chapman is excused. Trustee Friedman. I under duress. Trustee Cyan. Motion carries. Did you get Trustee uh, Obligacion? Trustee Obligacion is remote. She, uh, she, she, yeah, she's not going to be voting, but she can. Uh, okay. okay, well, thank you. And, uh, you know, uh, congratulations. Thank you. We, we, we set a task for you and also lots of gratitude for Rusty Friedman, who always jumps in. We know that the executive committee does a lot of the um, extra work of the board, and we are very glad to have you on it. All right, our next item is a discussion and mostly in uh, as a kind of um, to uh, prime us for some of the conversations that we're going to have later in the discussion period. So I wanted to, it's called Transformation Community Engagement and I'll invite trustees or our leadership team if you read it, if you have any comments and perspectives. I can share that uh, you know some of the nuggets from this is that authentic, meaningful relationships with community help on and maintain trust and cultivate conditions for ongoing collaboration. And again, a big part of this was community engagement can happen without advancing equity. So if we really want to be thinking about health equity, it must be designed with equity as its leading principle uh, through engagement of those communities who are most impacted, both in terms of outcomes, access, and every way through our health system, and also to account and mitigate the power imbalances that many marginalized and minoritized um, communities feel. And they had some very practical considerations for sharing power, because sometimes we think about, gosh, like what does that indicate? engagement really look like and how do we seed and share power. So this had some practical considerations. I see a heady chair. Um, Dr. Swift, did you want to add anything to that? <clears throat> you were the one who shared this article. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Uh, I just add that I really love the visual diagram that shows the different stages and types of engagement. And I think as we think about um, our strategic plan and what it actually means, what we mean by community, what we mean by, you know, a true partnership. Um, I think this article had a lot of pearls to go beyond just the concept of a traditional patient council. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments? Um, I agree. Thank you, Doctor. I never got to that level of thinking of community in the three levels they have here, informed, involved, and then driven. And I think it's just a simple demonstration of the, um, the power of community and the need to um, align things so that it's real power, not just, oh, we're gonna keep the community informed and we're gonna do what we want. So there's a useful article, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I do feel that sometimes I think we do the community informing fairly well, but it's the co-design and it's the true engagement that, that is 
but um, I wanted to lift up, we have two, or at least two good examples that I know of, and those of you who work here might know. We have the Healthcare for the Homeless Co-Applicant Board, which is 51% of folks with lived experience. And I think even with that, there is, uh, the structures are there and you keep wondering how might we have uh, the suggestions and the feedback that come from this board, um, how might we better use that to inform some of the decisions that I've heard that being spoken. Uh, another example is the Cancer Collaborative, which has been around for two years, I think, with uh, <clears throat> they will be presenting today amazing leaders from our community and from our providers as well. So we have examples here where we might want to explore what does that partnership of more community-led, community-driven design look like. Thank you. Uh, moving on, I'll invite our CEO for your report, Mr. Jackson. Excellent. Thank you very much, Chair Banerjee. It's a pleasure to have the opportunity to share once again. Did that work? Good? No. Uh, not yet. Let's see. Yeah, there we go. And it jumped. So I'll start from the beginning. I see this is my board report for March 8th, 2023. And um, first off, I will start with one of the many cards that we've received. This is a new tradition that we have. And it, we just want to take the opportunity and just share some of the positive feedback that we have received from our community over the course of the pandemic. Um, and so this card, as you can see, is a thank you for your bravery, your long days and nights and extra shifts for your self-sacrifice for the, for the sake of the greater good for being a superhero in scrubs. And then the second one on the right, dear healthcare worker, thank you for all you do to keep us safe. Your dedication does not go unnoticed. You are appreciated. XO Gretchen. So we have hundreds and hundreds of these that we have now deployed across the system. Mark Fratsky and the facilities team led an effort. So we have them posted in the lobbies at all of our facilities. So our staff can see um, the positive support that they have from this community. And it's really fabulous. We have cards from all over the country, but you know, primarily from Bay Area, but we read one the other day that was from, I think, Pennsylvania. So people see us and they know us and they appreciate what we're doing here. So thank you for allowing me to share that. <clears throat> Moving to the operations and program updates, I'd like to start with staff and physician experience. And it's terribly important that we spend some time talking about our culture of safety survey. We have initiated the latest survey, and this is something that we do every year. And it's an opportunity for us to receive direct feedback, anonymous feedback from all of the employees of the organization. And it's terribly important that we then act on that feedback. And so that's something that we have heard from the staff, they were concerned that one, they were worried about being anonymous and whether they would be um, identified and then have repercussions for speaking their truth. And so we you know, gave them assurances and I believe we've honored that, that their ability to remain anonymous has been protected. And then they wanna see action. They don't want to just say these things and have them go into a, a hole with no action. And so um, we are fortunate to have Darshan Graywall who is um, a member of our quality team 
and Darshan leads this effort for us. And so what I'm going to show you are slides that Darshan prepared. She also presented these um, to our uh, the uh, desktop chat. And so walk the folks on our desktop chat, which is a weekly event where all staff are invited and it's also recorded so that they can see it after hours. But she walked through this and so I wanted the board to see it as well. So this um, is from last year uh, to give a sense of how we did last year. So we had a 74% a response rate, which was the highest that we've had. And the stars represent some of the areas that really exceeded the goal. And so the first one is Alameda Hospital, which was the highest responding organization at 94%. The next star is ambulatory services, which was at 81%. I, I apologize. I said, I know Mark Brown is somewhere throwing rocks at me. Um, Highland was at 96%, two percentage points above Alameda Hospital. Sorry, Mario, but congratulations, Mark Brown. So Highland was at 96, which wow. is phenomenal, yeah, is which is because it's the biggest aspect of our organization. And then San Leandro Hospital was at 84%. So really phenomenal responses from the organization last year. Our goal is to exceed that this year. This one's a little busy, but I think it's very important because this shows the response rate over the past years. And so you can see from 2017, which is the far left column and it's the blue column. And so you can see at Alameda Hospital in 2017, the response rate was 36%, which is, I think anybody would agree that's abysmal. And that's as contrasted to, I just noted 94% last year. Um, ambulatory care, they were at 72% in 2017, 81% last year. And I'm just catching the, the first time that we have data from in the most recent one. Um, behavioral health, they were at 67% in 2017. They're at 67% last year. Highland, 49% in 2017, 96% last year. Post-acute, 62% in 17, 74%. And San Leandro, 43% in 17, 84% last year. Support services um, at 75%. So that's the only one that went down a little bit. They were at 68% last year. And then finally, we didn't have data for physicians um, the advanced practice providers and residents until um, 2021, but you can see that that increased from 25% to 38% last year. So pretty um, consistent improvement year over years for the response rates. This slide really just shows the timeline for what we can anticipate. And so we um, did the facility, um, we oriented the leaders back in January. We did the facility mapping in February and we activated the survey on the 27th of February. It will close on the 20th of March and then the results will be returned the second week in April. And then we will proceed with the sharing of the results and the debriefings that go to the staff. Um, so excited about the process and hopeful that we will continue to see a really high response rate. This is how we're doing so far this year. So as of the seventh, so yesterday, you can see that our response rate, we have 768 responses out of the total eligible of 4577. So we're at about 17%. I'm told by Darshan that that is pretty consistent with where we were at a similar point in the, in the past. So we are obviously hoping for far more than 17%, but um, we are not alarmed by the fact that we're only at 17% about a weekend in the survey. So I'm hopeful to see that number jumping up pretty soon. Moving topics, um, CEO rounding. And so this is something that um, I've been doing since I arrived two years ago. Um, and I was most recently at the System Support Center back on the 2nd of March. And so I am pictured there with the staff from recruiting. 
So we had a really great session. I was able to meet with a number of different departments and individuals during the course of rounding. As you can see in the bullets, um, um, over the past two years, I've done 84 different facility visits, um, meetings with 166 individual staff and 112 meetings with physicians. And so um, I anticipate this will continue. It's been very productive. Um, frankly, I get as much out of it, as, or if not more than the folks who are doing it. I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's really almost an even split. Often people have concerns or issues they want to bring to me, but equally I get people who just want me to know them and they want me to know what they do and why they do it and how much they love their work. And so it's really gratifying to have these opportunities to interact with staff directly. <clears throat> Moving to our community connection. I think most of you know that on the 24th of February, Health and Human Services Secretary uh, Javier Becerra came along with Congresswoman Barbara Lee and they hosted a, a session here. Um, and it was led, really, it was put together primarily by Dr. Stephen Chin, who is the leader of Recipe for Health, uh, formerly known as um, Food is Medicine, which originated at the Hayward Wellness Center. It's, it's gone countywide, and frankly, now it's gone nationwide. And so this was an acknowledgement of that. And so we had a, a very multidisciplinary roundtable that met here in this room, um, ably led by Colleen Chavla, who is the Director of Health and Human, or excuse me, the Healthcare Services Agency here in Alameda County. And it was universally well-received. There was a lot of media. So we had the session here, and then we had a press conference to follow. And um, you can see some of the remarks. I will not read them to you, but it was just you know, very well-received by the participants and those who had the opportunity to partake in it. And then we did a press conference to follow where we talked about, certainly about Recipe for Health and its impacts, but also about um, the Inflation Reduction Act. That was something that Secretary Becerra was very intent that we wanted he wanted to have an opportunity to talk about that and one of the most exciting parts we had a person who was a beneficiary one of our patients from our recipe for health program he spoke during the press conference and talked about what impact this program has had on his life and the positive changes he's seen in his health status as a result of this work there was also a, a person there she was a phd from stanford who was doing data um analysis of the patients. And so we can really now quantify, it's no longer anecdotal that we believe this is a good thing. We now have data that shows that our patients are benefiting by virtue of having participated in Recipe for Health. So that's very exciting. And um, we believe that is how we're going to draw more participants. This is something we're now planning to take to the um, America's Essential Hospitals because we believe that can be a venue that we can push this out to other safety net organizations across the country. So very excited about that. And I think it, it hits so many objectives besides the healthy, but food security as well. And I think about uh, with the food SNAP benefits, just, you know, the extended ones just uh, coming to an end this week. Um, so many more will be uh, hungry and food insecurity is really an issue. So having this, uh, you know, prescription to be able to get access to healthy foods and also ways to cook is just so critical at this time. Thank you so much, Chair Banerjee. I appreciate you saying that because certainly we want to make sure that healthy food is accessible and that we address the, the pervasive food deserts that exist in lower income communities. That's just a fact. We also wanna help subsidize and make sure that the folks who are growing the food are paid a living wage. Um, they cannot produce the food if they cannot be compensated fairly for the food that they're producing. And so 
that was a part of that multidisciplinary roundtable talking to organizations like Dig Deep Farms, which really is creating avenues for these local producers to be paid a living wage so that they can continue to do this work. One of the things I'm personally excited about is the opportunity to utilize our buying power to start buying from those sorts of vendors so that we can actually use those locally grown products for providing the meals that we serve here across the Alameda health system. So I, I just, I'm really optimistic about what the future holds um, that will grow from this uh, event. Yes, thank you. I mean, this is an outstanding program and really the whole ecosystem of the food system of, from the consumer of communities to the growers, especially those who don't always are, are you know, uh, face a lot of barriers in um, compared to being a growers. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Moving to quality care. This is um, excerpted from a publication that came out from America's Essential Hospitals recently. And so we were very excited that during uh, Black History Month, um, the America, America's Essential Hospitals focused on what we're doing here in regards to um, our beloved life, birth, and centering program. And so the, what you will see here are some of the excerpts from that um, publication on their website. And so they, they spotlighted Black history in the making, as they put it, at um, member hospitals as they work to ensure the highest quality care for Black patients and pave way for Black leaders in healthcare. And I will not read these bullets to you, but you'll have my presentation forward to you. But essentially, this is um, a summation of what, how the program was, was created and who it's serving and you know, the benefits that those who are beneficiaries of the beloved program, how they're receiving it. And I'll just take you to bullet number four. The truth of the matter is that we don't feel safe, said Danielle Davis, who is a program specialist um, at the Alameda County Public Health Department. And um, down to bullet six. In 2020, Alameda Health System and the Alameda County Public Health Department launched the Beloved Birth Black Centering Program, a prenatal and postpartum care program designed by, for, and with Black people. And at the final note at the bottom, we call it For Us, By Us Care, says Davis, who serves as a facilitator in the program. We have Black midwives, we have Black group facilitators, Black nutritionists, Black doulas. When you're cared for by people that look like you receive better care and you're better, you're able to be yourself. So really exciting to see the America's Essential Hospitals focus on this work. We know it's important and doing great things, but it was great to get that recognition nationally. Shifting gears, moving to regulatory readiness. I just wanted to highlight a few recent um, regulatory events. We had an on-site um, activity um, on the 26th, um, unannounced forecast survey at Alameda Hospital. And we um, had zero findings and zero deficiencies, so we we're very pleased about that. On the 21st of February, we had an unannounced laboratory accreditation survey at Alameda Hospital. Um, and again, uh, with only five findings out of 250 um, standards, which is less than 2%. So that really was a phenomenal finding. Um, and then finally, um, well, on the 3rd of March, we had an anonymous complaint that was received and was cleared with no follow-up action required. And then finally, we have a couple of ongoing readiness activities that are noted there. Um, and I just wanted to say in 36 months, Alameda Health System has received 17 complaints and all have been resolved with a 100% clearance rate, no citations or recommendations for improvement, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, 
you know, we don't shy away from the fact that people sometimes have different perspectives on the care that's provided, but we pride ourselves on the fact that we have been um, vindicated, if you will, by the regulatory agencies. Um, also, um, employing the services of Joint Commission resources as consultants for assuring preparedness and alignment with recent Joint Commission survey and surveyors' expectations. And so being continually um, vigilant and ready for, for surveys. I uh, wanted to talk about the Association for Advancement of Blood and Biotherapy. So um, just this week, the Highland Blood Bank and Transfusion Service underwent its biennial acc accreditation inspection by the association that I noted. And um, it went extremely well. And going to the fourth bullet, at the survey exit conference, the inspector congratulated the laboratory leadership and nursing leadership on an excellent performance and stated his inspection found zero deficiencies in our transfusion and blood management practices. And I wanna share a quote from Dr. Ng, who leads uh, our labs. She noted that in 35 years that she's been in practice, this was a first for her. And her quote was, these were truly remarkable successes, demonstrated our steady pro progress to perfection throughout the pandemic. It was quite an accomplishment for all of us. And so kudos to Dr. Ng, kudos to the laboratory staff, and obviously to our regulatory, our, our quality and regulatory team as well. This is, um, you know, it's the, the nature of what we do. This is about the donor network. We get a regular report of the organs that are harvested. And so I just wanted to share with the trustees that we have had a number of successful harvest events recently. Um, we had a 46-year-old male who was admitted for acute respiratory failure on February 27th. And um, we have one of our nurses who made a timely organ referral and they asked that we please thank her. And um, he was declared on 3-2. The donor network team met with his family, provided grief support, and then offered them the option of making the donation. They said yes, and they wanted him to save and to heal lives through organ donation. And so he was transported on the 4th to the ICU, from the ICU to the OR, and um, we had an honor walk for him. And so I, I, I don't know if you're all familiar with the honor walk, but staff literally lined the hallways, and it's a rather, it's really a solemn and beautiful event where the patient and the family walk past the staff as they're heading from the patient's room to the OR for the harvesting event. And so um, I had the honor of participating in a donor walk a few weeks ago, and I can tell you it's one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. So um, the following gifts were recovered, the left kidney, the right kidney, and the liver. So again, a successful harvesting event. I wanted to talk briefly about um, the State of California Health and Human Services Agency, um, their guidance regarding masking, because um, with the end of the state of emergency, it's appropriate to revise our current masking framework per um, CDPH. And um, the path forward is gonna be predicated on our individual smarter outcomes that will collectively yield better outcomes. So um, effective the 3rd of April, there will be updated guidance pertaining to how, when and how masks should be worn in all settings. This will have implications for us. So the ROC, which is the Restoration and Oversight Committee, will be meeting next week to talk about how we will adjust our <coughs> masking requirements um, effective April 3rd. So we are uh, looking forward to this. We wanna be proactive and be ready because there is a lot of uh, concern. We were on the chat today and staff were asking, so can we take off our mask now? It's not as simple as that. And so um, we, and no one, size will fit all in this instance because there are different levels of care where masks will still be 
required or will it be strongly recommended? And so that'll be the work of the ROC to really clarify and make sure that the entire organization understands how our actions will change effective the 3rd of April. And that is my report. So I would welcome any questions, comments, or concerns. Thank you for sharing all that, uh, those wonderful findings, random surveys pop up. And it is difficult to get perfect scores and no deficiencies. Um, so it's, it's really great to know that our, our lab is doing so much excellent work with their blood processing, specimen processing. And uh, the donor walk also sounds quite powerful. Very much so. And so I'm, I'm glad that our, our clinical teams are doing such good work. Thank you. It does demonstrate tremendous progress. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, James. Please convey our gratitude to the folks because you know, we don't work here and we it, at the boardroom, sometimes you get a tip of the iceberg and it's stories like this that bring home to us the hard work and the commitment and dedication of the staff. We have to thank you for sharing. I appreciate you saying that. I, I would beg to differ only in that what you do as trustees is terribly important. You, you're giving of yourselves and helping guide this organization. And you all know where we were two years ago. And so... I'm terribly proud of the progress that this team has made, but that's because of the support from you as the trustees and your guidance. And I think that the results show that. So thank you very much. Thank you. Team effort. We can move on to item C on the agenda, which is medical staff reports. And I'll <clears throat> invite Dr. <throat> Lee, Lana Lee, to begin, please. Thank you, and good evening, everyone. I'm Lana Lee, and I'm here to present the Medical Executive Committee AHS uh, report to the Board of Trustees. Um, I'll start with community. Our MS Jedi Committee highlighted February as Black History Month. The committee presented our 2023 goals, including implicit bias training for all medical staff and for departments to include demographic, demographic data when evaluating quality improvement metrics. Medical staff members also had a discussion about teen patients in acute psychiatric crises. We recognize the limited medical resources in our county and state for this care for this group of patients. For quality, the AHS MEC recommends the creation of a division of addiction medicine under the Department of Emergency Medicine as outlined in our bylaws. The Addiction Medicine Clinic currently treats patients in different healthcare settings, including acute and elderly care, and both in specialty and in primary care. This division will implement standardized processes for care of patients with substance use disorder, including provider privileging and quality assurance. They also have active partnerships with community-based organizations to help patients transition between the different settings of care. For staff and patient experience, the following department chair committees are still currently ongoing. Um, emergency medicine and orthopedic surgery search is very close to being completed. The imaging and radiology department chair search uh, continues. There is a, a planned interview with several candidates and the committee has partnered with an agency to help with identifying qualifying candidates. Under sustainability, the Department of Anesthesiology presented the department report 
Dr. Laura Lang spoke about her extensive and successful recruitment efforts during their staffing crises. For 2023, they will add five anesthesiologists and six CNRAs to their care team. Department staffs all three of our AHS hospitals. She also talked about the launch of the POET Clinic, which stands for Perioperative Evaluation Team. This clinic um, is set to launch in May of 2023. And one of its purposes is to standardize preoperative evaluation across AHS. Thank you for your time and I'm open to questions. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Lots of great updates. Any questions? Yeah, I'd like you to uh, say more about team behavioral health resource limitations. Um, yes, well, we spoke as a group of providers at MEC that often come across these situations in our emergency room. And uh, we spoke about the difficulty of um, finding county, county resources for, for through, through for these patients once they leave the emergency room in terms of the number of beds that are available. How does that impact length of stay and quality of care if uh, these teens are on 50 or 50 volts and they're stuck in our ER? Well, I think it adversely affects the care for these this group of patients, um, you know, where they spend long hours in the emergency room because we're unable to find, you know, good, adequate places to, to take them. Uh, is there a change in resources? Like, is it, did we previously have a place where we could send these clients and is that no longer available to us? Yes, there is. Um, Willow Rock was a facility that we referred a lot of these patients to from the emergency mm -hmm. department. And recently, Willow Rock has, um, I think they no longer operate their emergency service or their critical uh, crisis unit. And I just also very recently heard that they may have a further reduction in their services as well. Um, so what does that mean for our county-based clients? Where are we sending them now? And what is the plan for replacing this resource? I think that is part of our discussion today. Um, you know, I heard from the emergency room docs that some of these patients are going out of our county um, in order to, to find that care. It's an appalling gap for this age group that they cannot be at John George and they cannot be at Children's. And now with Willow Rock having this issue, Children's can take children up to 12 and John George takes behavioral adults 18. So that 13 to 17 have just fall through the cracks over and over again in so many ways. Do we know why Willow Rock is limiting their services even further? or why this resource went away to begin with? We heard about some staffing challenges with that facility. Okay. How far away are teams going? I heard sometimes as far as Sacramento. Okay, that is definitely uh, concerning. Do we have any kind of a timeline for something new? Do we have a partnership with the county? Like what are the conversations like? How are we navigating this challenge? Well, I'm hoping that we get some help from the board of trustees and advocating for this issue. Um, I don't know of 
you know, I understand that there is a conversation to increase funding for teens um, and healthcare among teens, but I'm, I'm not certain that there are any definite plans at this time. If I may, um, when Dr. Lee shared this with me, um, I believe it was last week, Dr. Lee, that you and I spoke about this. And so I had the opportunity, I connected her with Dr. Kathleen Clannon, who some of you know it. Um, she's the medical director for the Healthcare Services Agency. And so just wanting to you know, make that connection so that we could have a direct contact with HICSA to really start trying to, to problem solve with them. And so I don't know, Dr. Lee, if anything has come of your conversation with, with Dr. Clannon, but I think that is to your point, Trustee Esteen, you know, that's how we can try to collaborate and create some synergies with HICSA to address this terrible issue. Yeah, no, th thank you, um, Mr. Jackson. I have not um, had any direct contact with Dr. Clannon as of yet, but I plan to very soon. Thank you. I did hear you say that you'd like the trustees to advocate on, on behalf of the health system. You heard that. Yes. We're happy to also take that up in a different kind of way. You know, we can talk about that offline. Um, I also wanted to say it sounds amazing. You said four anesthesiologists and six CRNAs. Did I get that right? Five and six, yes. Five and six. That's wonderful. Is there a timeline? Um, I think most of them are due to start by June of 2023. That's phenomenal. That's really great. Um, and then you also said the proposed Division of Addiction Medicine is coming? Division of Addiction Medicine, yes, correct. That is phenomenal as well. Um, how is that going to be, like, is that going to be uh, ambulatory or is that going to be something held in a different space? And what's the timeline on that? That's really exciting. It's so it's a, the medical staff structure is what Dr. Lee was alluding to, is that the division of addiction medicine will come under the Department of Emergency Medicine. And the the operational aspects of the of the clinic and the bridge and the bridge program will yes. still be maintained. That's great. Yes, much needed. Mm -hmm. yeah. Excellent. How soon is that division going to be developed? I think uh, Dr. Lee can share that it was brought here for approval, I think, yeah. tonight. Um, it was in the consent agenda at QPSC, and it's also now consent agenda tonight. That's exciting. Yeah, loving all of this. Thank you. Thank you for answering my question. Yeah. Well, oh, thank you for asking. Detail report. Um, any, um, anything else that keeps you up at night among the many things, but this team, um, issue, thank you for bringing it to our notice, Dr. Lee, but any other things that you feel you need resourced for? Um, not at this time, but I do feel very well supported by, um, members of the executive team, my medical staff committee, and, and as well as you, um, Thank you very, very much about, you know, feeling free to, con I feel free to contact you. And so I feel very supported at this time. Thank you for asking. Thank you, Dr. All right, any other questions, comments? Uh, Dr. Joshi, do you wanna go next? I know Dr. Abzali is probably, he's I submitted a written report and he's on call today. So Dr. Joshi, please. Yes, I can go. Thank you, everyone, for having me to give the report on behalf of the Alameda Hospital MEC uh, med staff. So um, the report's in your packet, and want to highlight a few things. 
first under community that we are um, set to have a next meeting at the towards the end of the of March with our joint meeting for the Alameda Healthcare District Board and the HS leadership and myself, Dr. Pernia and Dr. Insolani representing the med staff. So our previous meeting was really great in terms of having background about number one, our joint commi commitment to move ahead together, prioritizing on what a structural plan can look like for the future of Alameda Hospital. So that's the probably the most important thing for Alameda Hospital um, that we have in our horizon. And then I wanna highlight that we approved um, many documents for privileging and for expansion of privileges, for example, pulmonary and critical care, and that's to expand the care that we can offer to our patients and to also expand um, the resources of our med staffs to our patients. I wanna highlight that we reviewed our quality and safety committee reports and found some really great opportunities in substance management in particular, along with hand hygiene and medication reconciliation. Under staff and patient experience, wanna highlight the second bullet point, which is that our physician lounge has undergone renovations similar to how a Highland Hospital developed their own physician lounge. At Alameda Hospital, we had one, uh, but we were able to make some much needed renovations. So that was very much appreciated. Uh, and those were the important things I wanted to highlight in my report and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. Questions for Dr. Joshi? Yeah, thank you for uh, talking about opportunities and sepsis management and hand hygiene. I, it is definitely good to keep talking about those opportunities. Um, curious about a little more detail on the infrastructure and physical plan for seismic. I know these are monthly meetings and they're going to go on for quite some time. Uh, is there any more that you can share with us that like any developments along the way? No real pressing developments. Um, I think it's still a lot more, a lot of fact gathering. Um, um, I think uh, Mr. Harding has done a great job of gathering reports, um, utilizing resources that way. And our next meeting is in two weeks. And I think that that's gonna be very useful to have mm -hmm. a lot more information about what to do with that fact gathering and, the, and to solidify the next steps. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. I know that um, Trustee Friedman, you're on the, on the yeah. committee, and I heard you mention that uh, um, you will also be uh, on, on that. So we will have two trustees on there, and I know I've spoken with Mr. Fratsky as well. We do want to bring this to the, to the board's issue because, you know, uh, it is uh, 2030 and plans for that have to be done yesterday. So uh, we, uh, as you have your meeting and you have a little bit more to share with us and some emerging plans, we'll make sure that we bring it to the full board. So uh, hopefully next month or in the coming months. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. Thank you so much. Is there anyone from San Leandro Hospital? I know we have a, a really detailed written report from San Leandro Hospital. <clears throat> Dr. Frali you know, is on call today. Uh, Chair Banerjee, Dr. Moganam is giving the San Leandro report. Oh, thank you. I just received now. Please go ahead. Can you say um, if he It's Dr. Moganam. Dr. Moganam? 
looks like Dr. Abdallah Yeah, he, he's here. He, he sent me the note. Okay. I do not see Dr. Moganum. There's Dr. Zalim. Hi, y'all. I could, I could give the report for San Leandro. I don't see Dr. Moganum um, on the call. Uh, this uh, meeting was on February 7th. Um, for the San Leandro Leadership uh, Committee, I uh, was shared by Dr. Moganum as I was away, but uh, it was a it was an extensive meeting, and all the updates are in the meeting packet. Uh, on the quality front, uh, orthopedic surgery uh, is doing more of their cases uh, uh, at San Leandro. Thankfully, it's uh, been a topic that we've been talking about for quite some time. Uh, and they've acknowledged the infrastructure changes that have taken place, uh, as well as the collaboration with the hospitalists who do all the inpatient admissions at San Leandro, which is uh, a big bonus. Uh, the bridge clinic that was mentioned uh, as, uh, as a uh, uh, part of the, an extension of the emergency department, uh, it will be coming to San Leandro's fast track area. That space has been approved and we're very excited about that change. Um, the Imtala CDPH survey was mentioned as having been successfully completed and uh, San Leandro and Highland meeting all of its requirements on, uh, on that front. Uh, moving on to patient and staff experience. Um, there's uh, improved staffing in the ED as well as the inpatient floors. Uh, some work uh, to be done in regards to training of staff before they uh, begin their work. Uh, and we now have a interim educator, which will go a long ways in, in addressing that. And we're very thankful for that. Uh, I want to acknowledge that um, the staffing feels so much better than it did this time last year when we were having these meetings. Um, and uh, it's it's been it's been it's been great. Um, uh, hopefully, we can get some permanent hires in place uh, for the long run. Um, there's a new grad. Uh, program starting in March. Uh, well, this month, actually, the training is ongoing this week uh, uh, that our educator is doing, um, which, which is great. Uh, thank you, uh, Chris Adams, for, um, for making that happen. Um, there's uh, admin uh, reports uh, were also shared by Mr. Harden. SLH has the lowest readmission re rate uh, in the system. Uh, as well as the lowest overall length of stay, which we've kind of retained that title for some time now and continue to do so, which is awesome. Um, the town hall meetings have been reconvened as of last uh, February 9th. Um, and again, uh, the, everyone acknowledged Chris Adams' contribution to San Leandro during his short tenure thus far. Um, under the sustainability pillar, uh, we just finished work on our uh, ED provider workroom, uh, which looks great, by the way. Thank you for doing that. It's a big boost uh, to morale. Um, the uh, imaging reports I had mentioned uh, in QSPC before, but there's a new CT mobile trailer that we're uh, expected to uh, roll out soon. Uh, fast brain MRI coming to uh, Alameda. Um, as well as the in-house CT scanner, which is uh, due for uh, completion uh, later in December. Um, outside of that, there's really not much more to mention. Uh, Adam Holder is the new uh, emergency department manager alongside Joanna Singleton, who's been the assistant manager for some time. Uh, I've worked with both of them very closely and uh, looking forward to good work with them. They're, they are 
they make a solid team uh, and uh, have already had quite an impact. Um, I can answer any questions uh, if you have any. Thank you, Dr. Zali. And uh, again, congratulations for um, having the lowest readmission and length of stay. We at, at QPSC, we saw uh, some of the more granular data and Mr. Pratsky shared too, just how the incredible performance that's been happening. Can you tell me a little bit more about the case management? Is that is there some form of uh, uh, social work or, med um, or case management happening in the ED? Uh, at present, we, we shared uh, our uh, case management and social work requests with the with the inpatient side. Um, there. Uh, Historically, we had social work in the ED at San Leandro, that position. Uh, uh, we had a great social worker with whom I actually created one of the first care plans in San Leandro. Um, uh, she left to Eden uh, in 2019 or 2020, I can't recall. And since then, we've not had a dedicated uh, case manager slash social worker in the ED. Um, Chris and I just met with uh, um, uh, with management uh, for social work, and we're hoping to trial uh, a 13-week uh, period of having a social worker in the emergency department um, that will hopefully ultimately lead to another uh, permanent position posted in the ED. Uh, that's the newest development I have on that. But up until today, we've been sharing with inpatient. Questions, comments? Uh, congratulations on the uh, follow-up survey for MTAL and CDPH. That's really great. Meeting all the requirements. Another good survey result. Uh, well done, team. Um, excited for the new grant program. <laughs> I know there's a few that are going to be rolling out soon. So, uh, how many did you get? I don't remember. Is it six? Was ten. Yeah. Ten. Something like that. Six to ten. Yeah, a good handful. I'm excited to see those nurses get in and uh, go in. Um, uh, very nice that you have the improvement on the workroom. Um, I keep hearing all these good things about the, the doctor's lounge and the, the facility improvement. And it does make me wonder about other staff and their break areas and how we make sure that other staff also have space to, to do their work, uh, you know, in a space that feels inviting and warm and take a break. Uh, you know, I know as we came through this pandemic, people were really concerned about whether they could even eat in a shared space and, you know, have something like that. So I wonder if we're also doing similar things for other staff. Um, thank you all. I, I personally, uh, since the uh, workspace uh, for the docs opened back up, um, Honestly, I didn't realize how much in need of uh, sort of a remake it was until until it's done, until you see how, how much better and nicer and cleaner it is. Um, and there are multiple other areas, but I'm sure if uh, funding allows and um, we can move in an efficient manner that, that need to be uh, done. The nursing workspace, uh, I think, should be the next area to look at in the emergency department. It's an old department. It's very old. Um, and if possible, that would, that would actually be an even bigger boost to morale. Yeah, 
I would just offer that thank you for calling the question. And certainly we are, it's kind of like the folks who paint the Golden Gate Bridge. Once you get to one end, it's time to start painting the other end once again. And so always looking for opportunities. Um, we initiated a project in the Wilma Chan Highland Hospital ED because we were in there and saw that it looked pretty bad. It's 24 seven, it's heavy traffic and it looks pretty beat up. And so we're looking now to do a refresh on the treatment areas in the the ED here at the Wilmington Highland Hospital. And um, so I don't have a specific example of a staff break area, that, but, but obviously we're open to looking at that and we will do so. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, sometimes staff are hurting for break areas. So it's, it's good to know that you're taking it into consideration. Yes. And I don't know, did they mention the residents here, the break room for the residents here? Did that come up? So that one, would you mind just? No, I mean, it's the same thing that we did with our doctor's lounge here, where they've got um, space, but it needs a facelift. So we're determining the scope of that facelift and plan to get that done probably in the next three to six months, I would guess. So, yeah. And, and the nice thing is the residents are fully engaged with it in the planning, which is really neat to see. Oh, that's great. I look forward yeah. to hearing how the other staff yeah. are engaged in the planning of their break services yeah. too. Yeah. And their workspaces. Thank you, Dr. Zali. So moving on, item D, which is our committee uh, board committee reports. I'm going to invite Rusty Bilkett to uh, provide the update for the QPSC meeting. Sure, uh, this, this will be a quick report. Uh, the QPSC met uh, on February 22nd monthly as we do our, our fourth uh, uh, Wednesday. We did the regular work of the board, which is approving credentialing, including uh, approving policies and procedures, hearing from our quality team on performance and, and quality projects. Our marquee presentation of, uh, was a continuation of a new process, which we're doing, which is doing a deep equity dive on specific components related to quality. So this month we heard the equity deep dive on patient harm, specifically patient falls, Dusty Gillen, one of our VPs of patient care services, gave a very nice report. I think what, what is compelling in these reports is actually the uh, remarkable questions which come out of the data, not necessarily the answers. Uh, identifying some certain disparities by ethnicities, there are certain groups which have uh, flared and, 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 and gone down and some which have remained steadily high. I, it doesn't give us answers right now, but it gives us a remarkable bunch of questions, which was the purpose of doing these equity deep dives. So I, I'm, I'm very excited that we're continuing to do that. And that was, uh, we'll continue to hear these equity deep dives as led by our chief medical officer, selecting which ones are ready for prime time. And we'll also continue to hear quality initiative reports. We'll intersperse those between so our timing will be okay. So with that, I'll end my report and open up for any questions, if any. Right. Thank you, Chair. And I will deputy to you, Chair. Promising to the ER, level two, ETA, five minutes. Promising to the ER, level two, ETA, five minutes. After having a very uh, sizable QPSC, we are now quite a lean one. And I was yeah. wondering, Chair, of inviting our uh, newest trustee, trustee Cyan, you would be, this is an excellent committee to go to. And, uh, Madam Chair, the members sit at your back, <laughs> so you get to assign anyone you like. Yeah, I, He's I, shaking his head, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Starting QPSC next month. Uh, yeah. This is a very... Uh, Fourth Wednesday. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll have a new chair. 
that we would be happy to <laughs> we're happy to look for concession planning crying, always and that might be a nurse <laughs> which, a nurse. which <laughs> might be nice to entertain it's like who's got the hot potato <laughs> uh, our next item is the finance committee report and i know uh, um, uh, chair fox is out and also miss miranda and uh, uh mr james you had said that uh Ms. Metzka might be able to give an update today on finance. Well, actually, oh, you uh, are. Trustee Fox asked me to stand in his place. Wonderful. And I'm going to ask Grace Messina to please, you know, be at the ready to save me in case I, I say things backwards or incorrectly. So, uh, Chair Fox's notes were handwritten, and as we're in a medical care setting, the handwriting is hard to read. So I'm going to read a different thing and do my best. Um, I think we had an overall uh, good report in January. Um, the net income for the month was 8.3 million. There was an improvement to the budget. Net income year to date, 21.4 million. Um, overall solid revenue cycle performance because of measure A funding, supplemental funding from COVID relief. And that helped to offset increased expenses driven by high uh, length of stay labor costs, which were driven by high registry rates and patient supply costs due to the high length of stay. Um, the labor costs were unfavorable by $15 million. Um, higher volume, wage rates, overtime, and registry uses. There is still a staffing shortage um, with demands. Uh, the length of stay is currently at 6.6 .6 days, but we know at San Leandro Hospital, length of stay is lower than all the other sites, because we just heard that from Dr. Gonzalez. Um, and we're gonna keep working on throughput at all sites. Um, the acute patient days actually exceeded the budget by 8.1%, and FTEs were over 335, which is 7.1%. Um, there was also a factor of registry invoice delays, which meant that some of those expenses that we were reporting in January were actually due to previous months um, and that's an, just gonna be an artifact until we have a different kind of documentation system. And I think we're working on that. Um, same thing around benefits uh, and retirement. Purchase services were unfavorable for, by 2.7 million due to the timing of Huron contingency fees and clinical services. Uh, because our length of stay was higher, we had 2.5 million in unfavorable material and supplies costs. Um, the net negative balance, we're continuing to project compliance with our line of credit with the county for the end of the fiscal year, um, which is really exciting. And uh, some projections for 2024 say that we may hit our net negative balance limit, but the forecast is going to be updated as our budget gets completed, and I would expect that we're going to be okay. But the budget will be a challenge. Um, the projected miss on performance improvement right now from the best initiative is 48.3 million, which means that we had hoped to save that, but we're not. And some of that is due again to staffing costs, overtime, registry rates, care coordination, length of stay, which is not hitting the goals that we had hoped for. Um, ongoing COVID issues exist and that and staff shortages are impeding the progress. Um, I will say that the, the guiding principles were discussed for the upcoming budget cycle. And as we heard about equity being a key factor in quality 
improvement. Equity is going to be the guiding principle of our budget this year. It's it's amazing and remarkable. Um, some of the, the key pillars are sustaining sustainable utilizing run rates adjusted for budget assumptions. We just heard about the definition of assumptions and how that has an impact. We're targeting the EBITDA to cover capital costs and not increase debt. There's some external factors that have to be considered, like new programs and regulations. We did get half, about half of our funding from uh, uh, state-based sources and not just revenue. Continuous improvement is, however, expected in all areas of the organization because of the initiatives that we're taking into account. Will be designed to continue the journey to improve quality at AHS and with equity at the forefront. Um, I'm really looking forward to all of that. Uh, there was a question offered by Chair Fox. He wanted to know if we need further education as a finance committee. And I'll expand that question to the remaining members of our board. Um, Trustee Smondorio made a suggestion that we have an easy to read dashboard that can help us all understand why certain factors are important in our public health finance report. Um, he also made a good point that not all budgets are created equal. There's hospital financing, there's affordable housing financing, there's public health and hospital financing. And really, you know, I think that's something that I have been trying to articulate for a while, but because I'm not a finance person, I think we got a better articulation of it from Trustee Slendorio. And I think we're gonna get some of those details that might help us all really have a grasp on what's, what's deep and important here. Um, so I'll expand that question out and then we'll be done with this report. Are there any other things that our, our fellow trustees think we might need to know or members of the, the audience and members of our ELT as we go into the next fiscal cycle, information we think might be important for us to dig into and offer during the finance committee report. Did I articulate yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm hoping that we'll, uh, when these come to us, we'll hear the process as well. And like, you know, what, what, what are the underpinning uh, decision points and what, what are the things that we need to do? We, we know that, you know, there are times when we uh, have to go don't get all the revenues, they come in different times. And so we have to kind of work through our budget and our expenses have to work through those times when which are lean as well. So yeah, would be, um, but if there are any specific education items well, we can send those that come to mind, we can send that to Chair Fox. Absolutely, and to, to Ms. Miranda, they will be ready to proceed. And that is my pinch hit for the finance chart. Very well done. Nice Thank job. you, Trustee Esteen. And if I left anything out, Grace, please jump right in. I'll, I'll just add that uh, Richard Espinosa did an amazing presentation. Oh, is that Grace? Are you on? Yes, I'm. I'm on. No, it was it was great. Uh, um, Justice uh, Board is Esteen. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, part of our. Uh, operations report was uh, post acute and uh, we have a, the written report in our uh, package for the full board, but it doesn't do justice to actually hearing um, uh, Mr. Espinoza say, uh, just amazing how that, that business, that service line has been doing. Um, so 
kudos to that team. All right, moving on, we are a little behind schedule. I, um, consent agenda is item E on our board, and we have seven um, seven items. I the staff the policies. Oh, All right, we Second. have one. Uh, would you please call the roll? Uh, Chair Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Fox. As, uh, excuse absence. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. Trustee Cyan. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Chapman is excused absence. Trustee Albuquerque is uh, joining us via Zoom. The motion passes. Thank you. Item, um, next item on the agenda is our discussion. We don't have anything for action items here. Um, and our first item, I, I do want to say that the F3 item, which is the community impact report, uh, we will, um, for that to our April meeting. So we have three items on the agenda. The first one, I'm just delighted to invite members of the Cancer Community Collaborative. This is a group that has been meeting for over two years. Damon Francis was one of their executive sponsors and Dr. Swift is now the executive sponsor. Um, we have Sonette um, Harper, who is the lead patient care navigator in oncology. Um, Gary, Gary Blood, I do see you, our community leader and member, and of course, our intrepid Dr. Patricia Fu, who is the interim chief and division of primary care, who also stewards. Is Jackie here as well, or is it, uh, did I miss anyone out? Lanzaya Williams is here as well. She oh, was wonderful. Previous uh, project coordinator. <laughs> okay, our, our, our <clears throat> fabulous project coordinator Lanzeo Williams is also here. So I'll turn it over to you, uh, Dr. Fu, if you can show your screen. Yes, good afternoon. We'd like to thank you for this opportunity to present. Um, our presentation is entitled Eliminating Anti-Black Racism at Alameda Health System, Addressing the Groundwater in Cancer Care. Next slide, please. The Cancer Collaborative is made up of patients, patient advocates, community leaders, employees, which are all pictured here. Um, if at some further time, future time, you wish to be more uh, closely acquainted, please let us know. We'll make certain that uh, invitations are made available. Next slide, please. So we grew from fertile soil created by the BIPOC and equity seeking leaders. Uh, if you see the timeline from 2019 to 2022, you'll have an idea as to the work which we've undertaken in the uh, um, research and um, you know, um, partnerships that we've uh, uh, associated ourselves with. Next slide. We'd like you to imagine if you were asked to design cancer care for your loved one, say your mother and aunt, your father perhaps. Well, during our um, work, we have made those type of, uh, um, of, of assumptions and acquaintances with regards to um, 
making those those um, comments. However, what we came up with, words we came up with were accountable, inclusive, um, unapologetically black, um, respect and loving. And what we found in the black community with regards to oncology and cancer care, that this is more common with our AHS experience and this is what we'd like to have you rest with for just a moment. Next slide. So as a collaborative, we really wanted to try to understand, you know, why is there this gap between, I think what any of us would want in terms of cancer care for our loved ones and the experience of black folks in our community. And to help us understand really the root causes, we use the Fish Lake groundwater analysis from the Racial Equity Institute. Um, I know many of you are familiar with this already, thanks to leadership by many in this room. Um, but I'm just gonna walk you quickly through the analogy and how we applied it in our case. So <clears throat> imagine you're walking by a lake and you see a fish floating belly up in that lake. You might think, you know, that fish didn't eat the right foods, maybe it was smoking too much, maybe it didn't go for enough walks, and maybe that's why it died, something the fish did. Um, in the cans of cancer care, you know, that might be thinking about individual patient risk factors, which is an important part of what we do in medical care. But let's say you come back to the lake later, and instead of one fish, it's now full of fish that are dead belly up. At that point, you might think, well, maybe it's not just what the fish did, but it's actually something in the lake <clears throat> that's poisoning all of the fish in the lake. And maybe it's not just what one fish did, but something in the, in the um, water itself. And then you might think, go to another lake and see that it's also full of fish that are floating belly up. And at that point, you might think maybe it's not even just a pollutant in a single lake, one accidental spill, but maybe it's something deeper. Maybe it's something in the groundwater that's actually percolating up, feeding into all of the lakes and poisoning all of the lakes. So in our case of thinking about cancer outcomes for the Black community, we know that in Alameda County, Black residents have the highest incidence of colon, lung, and prostate cancer. This is just one of many cancer statistics that probably many of you are familiar with. And here at Alameda Health System, we found when we looked that there was delayed follow-up to abnormal cancer screening tests disproportionately for our Black patients. When we tried to understand, you know, why do we see these outcomes? Why are there these patterns of outcomes? Within our institution, we really um, came across stories of uh, disinvestment, dismantlement, and barriers put in the way for programs and services that really center and empower Black folks. And what ultimately is the groundwater that feeds all of this? Well, it's structural racism in its many different forms that leads to these patterns and outcomes. We wanted to understand what is what are some of the barriers that make it hard for us to address the groundwater. I think it's hard in many places and AHS is one just like any other institution. We did several interviews of stakeholders throughout the institution and this is some of what we heard. We really heard that there are two different realities when it comes to thinking about racism. On the one hand, we spoke to a white leader who said, we think everything is okay because we're diverse and multiple other employees who said that they were either not aware of or didn't talk about racism at AHS. On the other hand, we heard a very different reality 
from a black cancer patient who really lost trust in the system, felt abandoned um, by the system, and a black employee and advocate who left us with this really powerful quote that black women carry the burdens and white women carry the power. Because we are not addressing the groundwater, the safety net is unsafe for black patients at AHS. Black patients are dying. You will be someone's ancestor. Act accordingly by Amir Suleiman. Here's our solution. One, speak truth to remove dual realities. Acknowledge that racism is a public health emergency that is harming Black people at Alameda Health System. Two, make system changes to uplift the power of the Black community. Cancer collaborative design systems that redistribute power. Three, community co-design of metrics. Establish metrics with the Black community early to drive result-based accountability. Four, ensure racial equity in program investment, continuing our work in cancer care. Start with cancer care as a proof of concept. Currently, we're at number two. Is your mic working? I think you might be on mute. Oops, sorry, my apologies. What will happen if we follow this plan? Embody patient-centered care, value, respect, and save Black lives. Earn trust and credibility within the Black community. Acknowledge and amplify the power, wisdom, and leadership of Black providers, staff, caregivers, patients, and community members. Prioritize and vigorously advocate for a seamless continuum of care to improve Black health and well-being within AHS's organizational framework. Advance Alameda Health System's strategic mission and shared goals of AHS's partners. Become a leader in advancing racial equity in healthcare. Next slide. What will happen if we do nothing? Continue to erode trust with the Black community. Withhold and delay steep acronym for safe, timely, effective, efficient, equitable, and patient-centered clinical and critical support services, continuing to produce poor cancer outcomes for Black patients. Perpetuate structural violence and disproportionate harm. Black people will die and Black families will continue to suffer from irreparable, familial, and economic loss. Exclude and undermine the lived and learned expertise of Black AHS staff, cancer patients and their families seeking care at AHS, cause moral injury among AHS oncology team members. Next slide. There's nothing new under the sun, but there are new sons. Octavia Butler. Next slide. The cancer collaborative priorities. Unapologetically black community co-production of anti-racist anti system changes. Black community co-design of an equitable, pro-Black cancer service line with community developed metrics. Equitable, pro-Black and restorative investment in patient navigation. 
We'd like to take this opportunity to ask you to work with us to create more fertile soil for our black, brown, indigenous and marginalized communities to lead us into a better, more equitable future. Thank you. Thank you so much, team. And um, I have the honor of being part of the design team of this amazing group. And I, I can't say enough how much I've learned um, about uh, just being in the community with you all. Uh, just this is an amazing uh, group of leaders. Dr. Swift is the executive sponsor, so please jump in. But this is an example. This was why we did the reading today is that this is an example of how our patient our leaders, our community leaders, one of our, um, uh, in the photographs that you saw, one of our uh, 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 collaborative members is also the Women's Cancer Resource Center from Berkeley. So it's, it's you know, survivors, it's community leaders, it's community-based organizations, and it's Alameda Health System team, oncology team. And again, there's fatigue when we keep hearing from our patients and our, community members, and then some of that doesn't go anywhere. So this is our chance to really think about like when uh, folks who are living this ex experience are telling us what they would like to see, I think we need to listen and resource this. And so it, it's exactly like beloved black birth, right? Like when you have co-design happening and this is a, an imperative that came forward Right now, this the anti-racist and um, pro-black, anti-black um, racism that we see globally and, and <clears throat> everywhere through the health system is being funded by, um, uh, there's a Pfizer grant, but the anti-black committee is being funded by a grant from um, our foundation, correct? And we really hope that there'll be a more sustainable form of resourcing for this. Um, yes, Trustee Banerjee, if I may, we'd like to, uh, as a collaborative, take the time right now to acknowledge the work from the beginning to our current point of uh, Dr. Patricia Fu, Damon Francis also, uh, Sally Miskelly, uh, other allies that have worked with us, you know, tirelessly with regards to um, committing themselves to the work and um, being very uh, upfront and forward with regards to progressing our um, goals. So I really would like to take the time to acknowledge them uh, at this point as uh, tireless allies. So if I may. Thank you for that. Questions? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all for this very important work. In your research, have you found models of other public health systems that are doing a better job that we could learn from? In, in what regard? Are you speaking specifically to navigation or are you speaking more comprehensively to how to embed, address, and implement equity? Yes, the second. Okay, um, well, you know, um, as far as another safety net institution, I can't speak to that with specificity. But what I can say is that there is an absolute awareness um, and quite frankly, increased competition among those uh, other hospitals, systems, some public, some not, right within uh, our local uh, region. 
I mean, quite quite frankly, um, you had Stanford who is now you know a, a great champion of equity. We ha- we are competing with other organizations that are some are private, including Epic Care. We have uh, UCSF, the uh, Helen Diller Family uh, Cancer Comprehensive Cancer Center, and um, so so there is an awareness, there is an investment, both monetarily and in turn terms of just time and programmatic um, development, including service offerings. So I, I can't say that it's another safety net health health system because quite frankly, I think we're probably the only one for God knows how, how many miles. And um, so I don't think there is anything com- comparable as far as nationwide, I, I really don't know. Um, but the challenges the challenges of equity as we've discovered it aren't just process. Um, we are dealing with the age old complex question and you know, hard to find solutions. It's no different. AHS isn't unique in that we have, um, we experience racism. What is unique is that we've been presented with an opportunity to actually do something that is impactful and transformative and how we regard it, how we view it you know, the depths in which we go. And I'm very proud to be associated with this collaborative because we are actually doing that work. The most challenging part about the work is that it's introspective. We aren't assessing someone else's system. We are assessing our own. And the hardest thing you can do is look at yourself, see your faults, and figure out how to grapple with them. You know, I wake up every morning with no makeup. It's a horror. I have to deal with it, you know, try to figure out how do I go on with my day. Uh, and, 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 and I liken that to, to the journey, you know, we wake up every day, you know, and we've been involved in this work, finding something else that we can fix, something else that we can address, something else that may require we change the makeup we wear. And keeping with that analogy, I've had to do it several times. But at the end of the day, we are doing the work. Um, I, f- I find that what's most powerful is that we found a way to operationalize the character that we all hold. We found a way to operationalize courage. We found a way to operationalize passion. We, we find a way to really humanize the experience so that when the patient benefits or, or, or when, we come, when we conceptualize and design programming, it holds that compassion because we're figuring out how to operationalize it. It holds that empathy because we're figuring out a way to operationalize it. I'm very passionate about it. I've been doing this job for almost 11 years. And you cannot work with cancer and not be transformed by it. There is absolutely no way. If you can work with cancer every day and not be transformed by it, then you really have no business working with cancer. These people come in, they are literally confronted with their mortality. Many of them come in hopeless, addicted, housing insecure, abused. Some come in, they're full of promise, potential, brilliance, college students. It it, it runs the gamut. And the one thing that fits, even though it's not a treatment plan, it's the humanity of it all. I don't care from what walk of life you come from, humanity always fits. 
when that humanity contains the empathy, then you will see what the priority really is. When you know that you're looking at a mother or a father and you look at that fear in their eyes because now they don't know what's gonna happen to their kids. I, I don't wanna go on a tangent, but I, what I really wanna do is, is try to take the work of equity out of a framework. Because I think sometimes we get so caught up in frameworks, we lose the impact of the work and the importance of the work. And, and I think that's what makes our collaborative so successful. We have had to do some very deep dives and it has been contentious sometimes. It's been crying, it's, it's been a whole lot. But when I look at what we're on the precipice of, of really um, developing that will speak to what that will hold our patients and their families, in our communities, I'm very proud of it. And uh, we benefit from the fact that we have actual cancer survivors and patients on our collaborative. So they speak from a perspective, not of just a lived experience, but the current urgency. And we are doing everything we can to respond and rebuild our program in a way in which all of that is part of comprehensive care. That is the real continuum of care. You can't start caring at one point and stop at another. Can't You just can't. So we're addressing the fragmentations um, in an operational sense, but we're trying to bring a new spin to it because we think that, um, first of all, we're supported. Um, we believe that it upholds AHS's mission, caring, teaching, serving all. I think that this is a perfect way to really uphold the mission and to elevate it in areas that we can, and to empower our communities in a way in which everybody wins. So I'm sorry that I took this long moment, but you know we've been holding this for almost two years. And we just really wanted to let people understand the depth of the work, because within the depth of the work is the depth of the promise. Thank you so much, uh, Ms. Harper. Every word you say is valuable. Um, Anyone else from the, um, any questions, comments from our um, board members? Yeah, I'd like to say thank you all for the presentation and for doing this deep dive. This work is really important and uh, I can see how much you're, you care about it. Um, and I wonder within the health system, um, I love that you got to this place and you put in these years of effort and work. <clears throat> And we have our beloved Black Birthing Center. And I'm curious, where else are people within the health system already doing this work? Um, and, you know, I know because equity has become a central pillar of our strategic plan. It's now a guiding principle of our um, budget for the next fiscal cycle. How else do you all envision this uh, kind of percolating throughout the system and what would be the, the resources you need to, to see that happen? Uh, well, thanks for that question. I think it was addressed to us. Um, thanks for creating such a question with like so much expansiveness and imagination in it. To be honest, I'm not sure like I've allowed myself to have that expansiveness and imagination. So I don't know that I have a great answer other than to say one thing that I've learned in doing this work, and it really speaks to what um, Z was saying, is, is the importance of the head and the heart is sort of how I've heard it phrased. 
from people who have mentored me, you know, that I think we're all very head centric in a lot of the work we do and it's important. It's key to moving things forward. And I think we often leave the heart out of it. And I think when, when Z talks about the emotions that have come up in our work, I think that has been where a lot of the, the work has been. The other thing I guess I'll say, which um, is a little bit tangential is that, um, you know, one piece of advice I have had from other mentors of mine is also that that maybe doing um, maybe it's about doing the work more deeply rather than always thinking that we need to expand quickly. And I think it, it's a hard tension, especially at a big institution, thinking about how to hold both of those truths at the same time. Because I, I agree, I think, you know, there are lots of areas where people are having conversations that I don't know anything about that are probably extremely important, deep conversations. Um, and we'd like to have a way to sort of connect those and build upon them. And at the same time, I think there's always a risk of spreading things quickly in a way that doesn't allow for the deep conversations that actually get to create the space for the vulnerability, create the space for the heart and really get at the root of a lot of these issues that affect so many of us in, in so many different personal ways. Thank you so much, Dr. Fu. Dr. Swift, did you want to add anything to this? I would just, um, it's hard to follow so such eloquence. I just would say, I have just been so uh, grateful to be able to support the team. Um, I do dream of uh, a future in which we have similar uh, community participation upstream in our co-design efforts. You know, as we think about our other quality metrics, our need to increasingly year over year uh, perform on QIP and True North metrics and ultimately improve our care. Um, I think we're going to come to a point where we will exhaust everything that we can do ourselves. And we need to learn from this collaborative, um, from Beloved Black Centering and our um, Homeless Health Center for how we can incorporate our community's perspectives early on as we all design our future. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Swift. And to kind of round that off is that the accountabilities go both ways. And when we ask you to come in and give so much of your time to share your perspectives and your experience and we, you know, dig, um, keep, keep asking you for, uh, we do have an accountability towards this and this at uh, the medical treatment part of it is one thing which is so intense for patients. Um, and then it's, this, uh, it's the other wraparound support, the things that our patient navigators do, they're bringing people to appointments making sure you have uh, all of the other supports when you have such accuracy. And so uh, making sure that that whole, you're looking at the patient as whole people, not just through the eyes of their diagnosis. So uh, thank you so much, uh, Gary, uh, Lanzaya, uh, Ms. Z, Patricia, for all you do, and the larger cancer collaborative, all of your partners, we are glad um, uh, that you are pushing us to improve this service line. Thank you for the opportunity. For the opportunity to share. Thank you again for your uh, patience. Thanks. Thank you.
I think the next item on our agenda is uh, Mr. Fratsky giving us an update on the SNP. <laughs> um, Richard's report? Yes, what's it? Uh, he has given that report, so that should be. Oh, I think you were the, uh, it was the South Shore update oh. that we said that this was the moment that you were going to share it. Would you, are you ready or would you um, want to do it? Well, I can time? give you a verbal update on oh. South Shore if that would be okay, Trustee Banerjee. Yeah. Um, so, um, South Shore is our 26-bed skilled nursing facility that sits on the Alameda campus. We discovered, I don't know, four months ago that there were routes going into the sewer line that runs under the building. And by the way, this is an old building, um, probably 1930s, 40s, somewhere in there. It is owned by the health care district, um, and we are responsible for capital upkeep. Um, so we immediately got an assessment um, of the situation and we moved ahead with about around just under, just barely over about $900,000 worth of capital improvement for the root system. We expect that to be completed in about three to four more months. Um, in the meantime, we know that there are roof problems, leaky roof. And the leaky roof has led to some water intrusion that has called some, caused some mold um, to grow. And we're assessing the scope of that right now. Um, we know that the roof project will be about a $260,000 capital item. And we are looking at whether we need to remove and replace the whole roof or whether we can successfully patch it for years. And it'll be good for a few years to come. So that's kind of where we are with it. In the meantime, all of our patients from South Shore are sitting in the H building at Fairmont. Um, we extended the waiver, or we asked for an extension of the waiver about a week ago from the state to move us into probably um, the September timeframe, if they can give us an extension. We expect them to do that. Um, and we'll just continue then on with our um, work on it. Now, we have also asked the health district to work with us, they hold the facility insurance on the building. And we think we may be able to gain some insurance dollars from this, Not certainly not all of it, but some hopefully. And, and I've been working with Debbie Stebbins on that. The other piece of insurance is we've got operating insurance on the, on the facility, which means that the expenses associated with moving our patients and transitioning over to the H building, some of that might be able to recoup. And I'm working with um, our council, Ahmad, on that. So it's moving along. Um, you know, it's like kind of like the money pit in a way. You know, you, you get one thing done and you transition on and you find another thing. So, um, but I've appreciated all the support that has been given. Um, you know, James and I are in a lot of meetings on this. Uh, Richard is is right there working with Mario Harding as well, our facilities person, and James Hill and us. So it's been all hands on deck, but we're optimistic we're going to get there. Thank you for that, Mr. Fresky. I know I had a conversation with Mr. Espinoza, and he said that because of this constant, it's like finding something else and finding something else and having to move our patients yeah. and think, whether it is that this is something that the board should be apprised of so that yep. you know that patients are yep. 
you know, happens. So yeah. It's and not if, a surprise when you hear it. Uh, yeah. Like and if we find that the sewage work exceeds the million dollar mark, we'll be back here to the board for approval. But so far, we're okay. I love that you're getting the insurance companies to work. Yeah. A lot of us are dealing with that after this substantial rain right. and snow <laughs> right. that we've been having. Yeah. Thank you, trustee manager. Thank you, Mr. Fresky. Thomas, questions? No. All right, moving on. This is our item number F4, which is the DEI proposal. And Ahmad, could you please um, show my slide? Or uh, do you have that uh, let me see if I can share. Would I be able to share it? Yes. I have the PDF of your manager. Yeah, that's You're right. That's the one. Yes. So as, as Ahmad is pulling up the slides, I'll just give you a little bit of an um, overview. We've mentioned this in the, uh, in the past, but in December, the board executive committee met and uh, recommended that you... We hadn't had any DEI training either for the, uh, our board uh, or the ELT that we knew of specifically that this would be a good thing to do as we were uh, coming into the new year, both to, uh, to kind of build a shared ethos about like what we mean when we talk about health equity, diversity, inclusion, and how as leaders we set the tone we send the signal and we send um, model what an equitable, inclusive, and just culture feels like. We're very fortunate that uh, Trustee Splendorio had that suggestion as well. So I'm going to turn it over to him. If you can go to the next slide, please. Yes. Okay, thanks, Kimmy. Um, so we were talking about this, and, th and this is something that was, um, I guess, the impetus was bubbling, and uh, some of us took the, the initiative to um, grab it and see if we could lead to a constructive result. And um, so we were talking, and I have some sources in private business, and uh, talked to them, and saw they were interested, and they're actually local, and um, and they had worked with fairly large companies and thought that perhaps they could be a fit for us. And um, we've had a series of meetings and many emails and proposals back and forth to where um, uh, where you have something in front of you. Uh, and then, uh, but from there, I'll leave it to Kinkini. You had the final discussion with our CEO and, and uh, maybe I'll leave it at that unless you want more, more from me on that. Um, this is good. Thank you. Uh, splint. And so uh, an, an ad hoc committee, which is Trustee Esteen, Trustee Splendorio, our CHRO, Lorna uh, Jones, and myself, we were uh, working, I, the HR department had also been looking at uh, consultants and vendors, and we wanted to make sure that there was, you know, that they had was screening and who could we get that we were looking through were local, who could be uh, in, helping us with this work. Uh, and we also knew that we wanted to build on what's already happening. So it's not this new shiny object that we are getting, but really we have our HR doing the, 
organizational learning evaluation. There's heady putting up. There are people in different, uh, you know, learning collaboratives that are doing racial justice work and how does this end up weave into all of this. So if you move to the next slide, um, do you want to, uh, oh, can you make that a little smaller so we can see the whole thing? Yes. It's the same one you emailed. Yeah. So, uh, do you, do you, uh, I can't if you want to um, so the opportunity is about engaging our board of trustees and executive leadership team to create a community of practice that really uh, holds true accountable culture of equity, um, inclusion and justice. And we hope to make the, you know, naturally in all groups and group dynamics, there's an equitable arrangement of power. And also in groups, there can be marginalization. Um, and what we're hoping is that our community of practice will cultivate a leadership culture that values courageous conversations, and respects and actively seeks diverse perspectives and builds trust to facilitate effective collaborations. Because it's through those collaborations that we can do work similar to what our Cancer Collective is talking about, moving from the head to the heart. Um, so what we hope to do through this is create a shared vision for DEI culture uh, all the way at the top of the organization with alignment on goals and measurable outcomes. Um, build relational trust within the executive leadership team and the board of trustees and between the groups through behavioral change and accountability. Uh, implement DEI learning and practice processes for continuous improvement, which is relatable to AHS's unique and complex situations like being one of the most diverse health systems in the country when you think about our patient population and our staff population. Um, leveraging data to assess the culture, the health of the culture within the system, similar to the culture of safety survey we heard about earlier, leader experience for continuous monitoring iteration because if we don't continue to assess ourselves, how do we know we're actually uh, making the gains that we see? And I think that this, these opportunities are really amazing and will benefit us in so many ways, both as, as individuals who are within this space, but also the impact that we have on this health system because of the roles that we're in. Um, and we can already see how this work is taking shape because our guiding principles for our next budget includes equity because our strategic pillars include equity and diversity. And it's, you know, we have to get beyond the, the words, we have to get beyond what's on the written page, and we have to get to the space of implementation. And all of this will get us there. Thank you, Trustee ST. Next slide, please. And, and exactly that, we thought that this would be such a great opportunity together, because there's so much work that can be done together as, as our um, ELT group um, so all members of the ELT group initially. Um, so this is, uh, so basically what they are going to do is it's about a, it would be a nine month engagement. We know that, you know, one and done is, um, um, doesn't work. So how do they build the practice and iterative work? So starting with, there'll be a kickoff, uh, you know, with board and ELT together, probably during the, our spring retreat, 
we do, they, they're going to do a very short culture assessment and analysis. They'll do some um, surveys just to see what the baseline is. So how can they tailor their, their trainings and group coaching uh, with that? They're going to, uh, so all of the ELT and all of the board do some um, base assessment and also have some one-on-one -on -one conversations. And then they'll also build with the culture of safety scores, anything else that are coming up so that they are weaving um, together any findings that, uh, that you all are uh, identifying as, yeah, this is a capacity we'd like to you know, build within our own ELT. And, and then, um, so then there'll be a planning session and for the planning session, it'll be board, CEO, uh, we do, uh, Lorna, uh, please, if you're here, we'd love to hear from you. Our CHRO has been really an incredible partner and guide in this process. So we want to make sure that we also have a, a, a Ms. Jones um, helping with the planning of like, what, would, what are the priorities in these six months? What are the things that you all in the ELT would like to work on? And we're uh, informed by the ELT. And then uh, there'll be a series of uh, in your ELT groups, group coaching, individual coaching, learning. And if you move to the next slide, uh, um, you'll see that they have a module, a six module. Um, so this is kind of hard to see, but if you see the, um, uh, they'll be working some just with the board of trustees, some things just with the ELT and some things together we'll be doing together. And then if you scroll down a little bit to see those six modules, these are things that they will be working with, um, with, the EL, uh, with the ELT. So each of these modules have, um, and, and really with a bias towards practice. So a lot of it will be interactive, will be like not just, okay, learn, it's like, how are, the, how are we then using it today? How are we using it in the different spheres that we are working in within the um, institution? So um, we've, I had a chance to go over it uh, with James. And James, do you want to tell me like what you, uh, you know, this plan coming from um, this opportunity for like professional development, leadership development coming from you know, board and uh, ELT? Well, I, <clears throat> I guess I would offer that I feel as though it is hard to self-identify your blind spots. It's hard to know where your opportunities are. And I think that what the board and working with um, um, Lorna Jones has developed here is a, an opportunity for us to have some introspection, an opportunity to really look at our leadership styles and how do we work more collaboratively to be anti-racist and to be inclusive in a way that we've not looked at before. And so I personally have not seen an organization make this kind of a commitment before from their board. So I think it's it's kind of cutting edge and um, I'm intrigued to see where it goes. Can I add to that, uh, that I had the pleasure of attending the, the Beta Heart Care for the Caregiver conference a few weeks ago. And I forgot to tell you this in our recent one-on-one, -on -one, but one of the things that stood out to me from a presenter was that they made an emphasis on uh, perspectives that have to be aligned 
between the board and the executive leadership team. And I think that this, uh, undertaking this will help us completely align. And the equity journey is never done. It's a lifelong thing. So I don't think anyone can sit and pat ourselves on the shoulder and say, we got it. So it, this is like a way for us, if this is our foundational year for a strategic plan, we model what just culture looks like. We model what, uh, you know, cultivating a container for courageous conversations and generative conflict looks like. So, um, and I'm going to invite, uh, you know, our CHRO, Heady Committee, our, our you know, chairs, co-chairs, I know Arlena from OLE has looked at it, Dr. Swift has. Lona, are you, are you on? Okay. Dr. Swift, did you want to, while we are waiting for Ms. Jones? Hi, thank you. Um, I'll just say that I think this is extraordinary. I'm so grateful for this. Um, those of us, those of you who read some of the August learning um, materials from the Hedy Committee probably saw that um, IHI article on um, creating a strategy for equity. And one best practice is really creating a container within teams for safe and courageous conversations. Um, we know that you know we need to get beyond conversations around data stratification and and into tougher conversations. And the first place to do that is with um, you know creating a space where everyone feels comfortable. There's consensus on the concepts and definitions, and then joint understanding. Uh, here at AHS, I think our staff are extraordinary. They're leaders in their community. You've seen examples tonight. Um, and we need, um, this is such a great opportunity. We need our, our leaders to model the idea that this does take time <laughs> and that time and investment is being made into another public health crisis, racism. And as we move out of one public health crisis, it's time for us to firmly embrace, address this next one. Um, so I really am excited about the opportunity for our leaders to have protected time um, and, and for the impact of that to trickle down into the organization. Thank you, Dr. Swift. Chair Banerjee, this is Lorna. I just wanted to echo the same sentiments that were shared by most of the board and Dr. Swift. Um, I think that this is groundbreaking and foundational for the organization. And I think the learnings we take away Will be things that we can cascade down to um, our leaders within the organization and um, I'm very excited about what the next year holds for AHS. Thank you so much um, group effort and we can't wait to get started. Um, go ahead. Yeah I just want to thank Chair Banerjee, Vice Chair Esteen and Trustees Blendorio for putting in the commitment and work to advance us all collectively forward. And thank you to the three of you and the other folks you were working with for making this happen. Thank you very much. All right. Um, so moving on, we have the so, next. Okay, what's it next? So uh, uh, yeah, next steps would be, uh, I think, you know, for many, uh, 
uh, you are seeing this for the first time um, with your um, um, you know we presume there's agreement for this and our uh, HR and legal will write up the contract um, and I think we want to get started as soon as possible. So I know that Lorna has already been kind of looking at the, that angle of it because we, you know, we are doing the content portion and the how to execute that will be. Um, but yeah, we, you know, you had a chance to look at it briefly, but this was the first time that we kind of swung it by the rest of the board and um, how do how do board members you? We'll be doing some of this training as well, so it'll be you know some of it with us uh, by ourselves, with our CEO, some of it with the ELP, and some jointly. So we'll be weaving it through uh, retreat, some special meetings, um, and then you know at different times during the next nine months. Nelly, did you have a comment? Your line might be muted, Nelly. No, I don't have any comment. All right, thank you. All right, so the next items are our written reports. And are there any questions about those? Excellent reports. Um, and then with that, I think um, we move to closed session. We do have the calendar items, but I have some things that we have on our um, uh, to share about like what we are going to be bringing in the following meeting. But are we on to the closed session? Yes. Okay, so this might take about 45 to 50 <coughs> minutes, I believe. So for those of you um, who uh, have been with us, thank you very much. We will be gone for some time, um, and we'll we can now <coughs> move to close. Yes, thank you, Chair Banerjee. The board will now go into closed session to consider those items as stated on the agenda. Madam Chairman.